So um, one of the things I was thinking about, uh, I, I'm a therapist by, by day. And, um, and I am always kind of right, curious about right, human mind, right? And curious about how, one, one of the things I love about therapy that I can't do here, right, is in real time, I'm, I'm kind of hearing people speak and talking back to them. And so there's a way in which our minds are actually like kind of moving together, right? And so it's a whole different kind of data. Here we sit in silence for 30 minutes and then you kind of give me a little synopsis and I try to guess what the heck was going on, right? But in therapy, I, like we're right, we're right there together, right? And so it's, um, it's a really rich opportunity to learn about other people's minds and to learn about my mind and to learn about how minds work together. And, um, and every, every few years I update my note template, the template that I take afterwards. And it's actually, to me, it's like a very serious part of it because my note template is really like, it's, a, it's, the, it's, it's the framework that I wanna come back to at the end of a session to say, what just happened, right? And they're like, what is this? Like, what was that? And that seems important, right? If I'm going to be there with someone and help facilitate a change process, I feel like I owe it to my clients and to myself to actually have some idea of what I'm doing, right? And that note is where I sort of put in writing, like, hey, what are the mechanics of this, right? How does this work? And I do, I take a mechanical view of the human mind, sort of an engineer's perspective. Um, and I'm increasingly, like, as time goes by and as I get to know more minds and watch them, I'm, I'm uh, increasingly under the, the belief or the faith that, like, human minds follow some patterns, right? And there's variations, right? Like, maybe cars are the best analogy here in that, like, you know, a Saab and a Hyundai and a Chrysler are different and SUVs are different, but there are also some general patterns, certainly with gas powered vehicles, right? About how they work and the basics, right? That, that you can start to trust, right? This kind of problem happens here. And I'll give one little example of this and then I'll move back into the, the main thrust of the talk. But one thing I noticed over the years, it just, it wasn't in the clinical training at school. Um, there's just a pattern I started to notice is that almost anytime somebody said they were depressed, if you asked a few questions underneath the depression, there was a tremendous amount of anxiety, almost always. Like under depression, anxiety. And I started to get curious about it and test out. Sure enough, every time, under the depression, anxiety. And, and, and the way it kept appearing was just that there were these big things where there was a job or a relationship that, that was terrible or that didn't exist or, or a health condition, right? Something that somebody really wanted to change and was really concerned about and just felt like they could not change and they couldn't find a way to not worry about it. And so this like anxiety built and built and built. And then finally the system just shut it down. And she said, okay, well, 
enough of that. We're just gonna kind of put this gray blanket on everything. And shut it down. So depression, right, in this sense, is actually in a way a balm for anxiety. And I read, stop and talk to other therapists, right, who have noticed this pattern. Actually, now it's fairly well written about and documented by people who've seen 10 times as many clients as I have. But it's interesting, right? It's just, it's a thing that you start to notice. And you're like, oh, look, that's the way the human mind works. After a certain point, it gets tired and it just starts to shut down. But the thing that I got curious about that I want to talk about tonight is, uh, is, is what allows the mind to be actually present to the experience that it's, it's having right now, especially when it's relating to somebody else. And so there's, there's this question I ask myself when I'm talking to people, how vulnerable is this conversation? And like on one end of the vulnerability spectrum, you have like totally shut down, right? You know, the sort of teenagers are a great example of this, like how you don't, mm, or you get a grunt, you know, or like when your, your, your partner or friend is mad at you and they just don't answer, right? That's no vulnerability. Like you are not getting in here, right? And then you have factual, right? Uh, people will tell you, you know, basic things, right? I, I bought the groceries. You know, we have three people waiting in the lobby right now, right? Like just really basic factual information. That's like only a tiny bit more vulnerable. And then from factual, you start to get into the realm of, of feelings and experience. But the place I noticed that most people are really comfortable hanging out in that realm is, uh, is in the past, I felt, I felt, I felt kind of good yesterday and usually vague. I felt good, I felt bad, right? So that's the next level of vulnerability I notice, right? And sort of this like, mechanical understanding of vulnerability, right? Shut down, factual, past, vague. Yeah, that was a good time. We went, you know, we went to dinner, we had a nice time, and I was kind of tired, right? That's safe. You know, and even, people can actually even tell you pretty horrific stuff from that place. And there's very little affect. Oh yeah, you know, my, my childhood was terrible. Nobody was ever around. Say it like that, like they're telling you like about the donut they had for lunch, right? In a way it's vulnerable, but in a way it's completely not vulnerable, right? Like, like there, is, there is no connection to the emotion associated with those memories, right? And certainly they're not being felt in the body or demonstrated outwardly, right? Necessarily, they might be in there kind of humming around under the surface. So past big. And then there's past detailed, right? We start to tell a story and we give some, some detail to it. And sometimes then that can start to evoke some emotions, right? It can start to bring stuff. And the thing about emotions is once affect starts to arise, it sort of forces us into the present because there's this realization if you're connecting to somebody and you're starting to cry that all of a sudden we're both witness to the fact that you are having an emotional experience right now. 
right? And so there's vulnerability in that, right? All of a sudden, we go from describing something, right, in, in cognitive terms to feeling right now what happens in me when I talk about that thing. And so then all of a sudden, we're in a, a much more vulnerable place once the affect is connected to the things we're talking about. But there's still another level, which is to actually talk about the experience of being in relationship with this person right now talking about this thing. So not just like, hey, you're telling me about what happened to you yesterday and you're feeling joyful or you're feeling sad or you're feeling frustrating. Like, what's it like to tell me about that right now? Oh, well, I'm hiding part of it from you because <laughs> I don't want you to know that. Right, or actually I'm a little embarrassed or like, actually I don't trust you. I don't think that you can handle all of this, right? That, that is like, that's the deepest level of vulnerability, right? Is to, to talk about the experience of being engaged with another human being in conversation. And I bring this up and it ties back to the meditation. Because when you ask yourself, what is this? And you start to get curious about that. What you're doing is you're bringing that level of vulnerability to your own experience, right? Now it's a little trickier to do on our own. That's you know why I stay in business because it helps to have another set of eyes being like, wait, what was that? Right, or wait, what's this now? Like I notice you're not looking at me, right? Like why, what is that? Oh, discomfort, fear, mistrust. Like, can we name that? Can we be curious about that? Right? So that's, that's where it helps to have another set of eyes. But really when you think about the Buddha's instruction around mindfulness, this is what he was asking people to do, right? Like become a student of your mind right? in, the, in the, the realest sense possible. And to the question about sort of lineage and steps and tradition and all that, all of the like, whether it's, it's developing concentration, or, or the laws of, of karma or the ethics, the Buddha was saying like, like you need to understand the mechanics of the mind because it, that is the way to be happy, right? Like understand that if you lie and cheat and steal, the mind will be miserable, watch that, right? In the same way that like prolonged unaddressed anxiety leads to depression, right? Like committing acts of violence or dishonesty leads to misery, right? Like just see that start to draw those connections and parallels. And similarly, bringing attention to things that's happening in the present leads us sort of inexorably towards stuff that's increasingly kind of hard to look at and talk about. And this is the interesting question, right? Why is it that most of us don't just go right to like, right now talking with you is a little bit terrifying, right? I'm, I'm sweating in my body and I kind of want to leave. And I don't know you that well. You might be a predator, right? Like, you know, we, we don't, we, that's not how we talk to people. Because we're, 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 are, these minds are built 
to protect us physically and emotionally. They're, they're created to keep us from getting hurt and to keep us from actually experiencing things that are just very unpleasant. And so we don't go into that immediate present moment level of vulnerability because it opens up both of those possibilities pretty quickly, right? If we start telling somebody everything about what's going on inside of us, it gives them the chance to really hurt us, to be manipulative, to be uh, insensitive or invalidating, right? Like there's a real opportunity for harm there. And so we wait, we test people, we gauge them, we fill them out, right? To see if we can get to that point. But the other reason that it's hard to go there, even when you're practicing by yourself and nobody knows what's happening in your mind, is that the same things that protect us from harm on the outside also protect us from remembering harm or remembering painful things or feeling painful stuff that we'd rather not think about or feel. So the same defenses can work kind of within us. And if you start naming what's happening in the moment, what you start to, to peel back just quite naturally are all those defenses that are there trying to keep you from feeling and thinking about unpleasant stuff. That's what's here. And so there's a, a certain way, right, in which like, like joy and pleasure are essential. And that tenderness that Kay talked about is really important, that, that sense of warmth, that sense of kindness. This is a patient, steady, loving process. And if you get to some interesting stuff that's a little funky or uncomfortable or awkward to look at, you're probably like moving in the right direction, right? Because our minds are so habituated to avoid that stuff, it's, it's, it's actually, it's easy to kind of skip over big parts of our experience. We were talking when a few people first got in about why the first row never fills up right away, right? And there's just all these old habit patterns about what we feel and experience when we sit in the front row and what comes up in us and, you know, who am I? Am I the good student? Am I a nerd, right? Like endless, endless stuff. But our minds are so good at just, just sitting in the background, right? We don't go through that most of the time, you know. But if you're asking that question, what is this when you walk in the room? It's interesting. What is this? Oh, uncomfortable, right? Mistrusting, wonder, you know, wondering where I'm going to sit. Yeah, like all that, right? And that's like, that's, that's the really interesting stuff. That's like the good stuff are all those kind of funny, little, quirky, uncomfortable habit patterns in the mind. And I was, I was talking to somebody recently about sort of the spiritual path and they were, you know, kind of lamenting that often there's a lack of sort of like storing concentration you know just like still mind where it feels like it's i was thinking yeah like i've had those moments they're pretty they're they're interesting they're certainly pleasurable right 
like 90%, no, 95% of the practice is spent sort of doing the really mundane, like, what is this? This is uncomfortable. What is this? This is uncomfortable. Like, what do I need? I need to apologize. <laughs> what do I need? I need to ask the universe for forgiveness and admit that like, once again, I've like done something I really didn't want to do or didn't mean to do, right? Oh, like, oh, that feels awkward, right? Like that, that's where most of the work is, right? Is in the like very mundane, like discomfort of the human experience and the social experience. Like, oh, I always look down with this person because it's too hard to actually stay present with whatever's going on between us. Right, and bring a little bit of tender curiosity to that. And sometimes it's because it's not safe and sometimes because it's just weird, right? And mo most of the time, I think for, at least in my experience, I won't speak for other people's, but in my experience, most of the time, it's not because I'm surrounded by dangerous people. It's just because the mind would rather not feel the discomfort of really being present with what's happening. And so we go, even in our own minds in meditation to the same place people go in conversation. We rehash the past. We talk about the future because they're safe. Those are places that require no introspection. You can live in the same loop forever and not have to feel anything uncomfortable inside. They are serving a function. And I think it's really important. We often talk about come back to the present, but when you come back to the present, you are stripping away two of your most habituated defenses, right? And so like, get ready, <laughs> right? Like come back here, but, but come back here in a, like, in a, in a gentle, curious way as, as an earlier questioner said, because there's gonna be stuff that's, that's awkward and weird and hard to look at. But that's really, that's where this is going. And then on the other side of it, it feels great. Right? There's a lot of freedom. There's an uprightness that comes with it. Because if you can sit and feel the weird stuff and own the mistakes and ask for forgiveness and admit that you're confused or feeling awkward or uncertain or have two minds about something or unsure of somebody's motivation, if you, if you can really name that stuff inwardly and when appropriate outwardly, like there's so much freedom. There's nothing to shy away from anymore. Right? You can just be, you can show up for your life. 